All right, we are in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, grab your Bibles, turn to chapter 1. We're going to pray and then we're going to get to work. Man, it was, uh, praise the Lord for the choir, the music ministry, the just leading us to worship God in spirit and in, and in truth. We're, we're a rich people. Um, man, having Pastor Dan out last week, how awesome was that? Um, it's just um, wonderful the way God's using his people. If you didn't get a handout, uh, you can raise your hand. The Connections team will hook you up. The outlines are on the YouTube link. Uh, you can take notes digitally if you want. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we're asking that you'd bless our time in your word. Lord, we'd, Lord would you keep us from just going through the motions this morning? Lord, we wanna hear from you. We wanna hear your word. And then we don't wanna just give mental assent. We don't want to just acknowledge its truth. We want to receive it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. And so God, we confess we need your help this morning. Lord, without you, this will all be wasted time. But with you, well, you'll take this time and you'll conform us that much more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll outfit us yet that much more effectively for ministry uh, Lord, I pray for the growing leaders at MBT. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to, to see what your word says and to let none of it fall to the ground. Lord, use the growing leaders of MBT to rock the nations of this world for your glory. God, we want everything to fall out to the glory and honor and praise of you alone. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, during praise and worship, uh, I saw a photo uh, in one of the chats. Were we able to do it? No. It hadn't got to the email yet? Ah, okay. It's a great photo. You're not gonna see it. That'll be next service. So, I don't know what happened. If you ever do get the photo, if it ever does show up, just wave at me, okay? It's worth interrupting uh, the, the, the message for. All right. In your outline, I've given you an outline of the book. I don't even know where I got this outline. I've had this for decades now. It's awesome, and I thought you ought to have it, so I, so I threw that in this week so you could just get a big picture overview of the book that we're studying. Last time, we looked at verses one and two, and, and you know, in verse one, we covered the from section and the to section, and what we saw is that this is a letter of authority. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse two, we found out that it's a letter of affection. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, uh, from two weeks ago, that message is online. If you weren't here for the start of this study, you can catch up um, um, online at your leisure. All right, so, we've got the introduction, we've got the address, what comes next? How does Paul begin his other letters? If you'll look at all of the Pauline epistles, you'll find out eight of those letters start out very similarly. They're, they're, they're very, they're, there's a commonality between them. After the introduction address in Romans chapter one, what comes next is found in verse eight. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world 
In verse 9, he says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. See the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. After the introduction, after the address, I thank God always on your behalf. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Colossians chapter one, same thing. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse three, same thing. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. We're thanking God for you over and over. In Philemon, same thing, verses four and five. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and thy faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all saints. Okay, so what about the letter that we're studying now? What about Second Timothy? Well, we get to the first of all in verse three. He says, I thank God. This is what he's telling Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Do you notice a pattern? Come on, Bible students. Right? Are you seeing the pattern? You ought to look at the person next to you. Don't say anything. Just look at them. Get a good look. Can you give thanks to God for that person? You're like, hmm. Paul could. Paul could. You know, every time someone comes to me with something positive to say to me about my kids, I mean, they come to me like, man, you're, Sam, you know your kids, and then they'll say something positive. Somebody comes to you to say something nice to you about your children. What, what do you do? How do you respond to that? Get out of here with that junk. I hate hearing that. No, no. If, my, if somebody comes to me bragging to me or thanking me for who my kids are, it is like sweet nectar to my soul. I mean, I just love it. I just love hearing people being grateful over my kids. I think that's the heart of any father. God loves our thank you to him for him and what he's provided for us through his children in our lives. I think that pleases our Father. He, he loves our thank you for his own. You say, well, Pastor, I don't think you really understand who's sitting next to me. It's gonna be a tough job giving thanks for them. Okay, Paul had that same thing with Corinth. Okay, where can we start giving thanks to God for the hot mess that's setting by you? You know, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction. Like, he's gotta straighten the church out. Well, how does he start? With Corinth, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf. Why? For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. There's no work of faith, labor, love, none of that. It's just I'm so glad the grace of God is at work in your life. And maybe that's how you start. God, you're not done with this mess yet. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. So how does he start? How does he pray? No lying about how the church at Corinth, you know, Corinth is awesome. No, God, you're at work in their life. Thank you for the grace that you're giving them. Thank you for the, I mean, boy, they need it, but thank you for the work that you're doing. I mean, start there. Give thanks to God for the people that are in your life. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we start this section. 
Uh, We're going to call verses 1 through 7. We're not going to cover it all this morning, but we want to call this section Stirring Up the Gift. We won't actually see how to do that until next time, but, 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 but let's look at it. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So there's point number one for us. We need a pure conscience where the body of Christ is concerned. Well, how do we get a pure conscience concerning our brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, Paul in his early days, he would, have, he would have had a, you know, in the early days of his, after his conversion, he would have had a, a very tough time with his conscience. It would have been tough for him. Uh, after he came to Christ, he would still have to work through the fact that he was one of the greatest persecutors of Christ and his bride, the church. I mean, everything from the stoning of Stephen to the, to the, to the pursuit, the, I mean, he, he would compel believers in Jesus to blaspheme Uh, He butchered the bride of Christ. Uh, You can read his testimony about it in 1 Timothy. And here's Paul's own Timothy, or his own uh, testimony to Timothy of his persecution. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. I wasn't able, he enabled me. For that he counted, he reckoned, he believed me faithful. I wasn't. Putting me into the ministry. Who did God put into the ministry? Look at verse 13. This is who I was before Christ. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But he had to work through all of that. But, but Paul got on track. He got on mission. And he used his time for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is for us. And he says as much in 1 Timothy. He's our model. He's the model for how we should move forward in faith. If we believe in Jesus here it is, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul is our pattern. He says, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Why? For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Well, he's talking about you and me. Didn't we, after the apostle Paul, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to life everlasting? Well, there's your template then. The Apostle Paul is the template for every one of us sitting in this room. And guess what? Before Christ, Paul was a hot mess. I mean, here's a guy that thought he was really doing good for God. And he was the biggest mess maker for God on the planet. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just in the way of everything that God's doing. He is, he is dangerous and deadly to people who are just obeying God. So he did, he, 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 got, he got, I mean, Christ got a hold of his life. He got right with God and he started moving forward in faith. And so if we're gonna follow that pattern, we have to do the same. No matter what your past, no matter what mess you've made in the past, get in your Bible and then live it out in faith. So many people say, man, I just don't know how God could ever use me. Pastor, you know how many times I've blown it? God has to have given up on me by now. Look at Calvary. Jesus turns and says to a thief on the cross, I mean, the guy's whole life was a hot mess. Today, boy, you're with me in paradise. Mark it down. He's, oh, he's merciful, he's gracious. He's such a forgiving God. I've messed up too much. There's a solution for that. Stop, repent, and start following the Lord. And he will take you just like the Apostle Paul and he will use you for his glory. Don't be caught, don't be trapped in wicked unbelief. 
See, we are just like Timothy, again, 1 Timothy chapter one, we're to hold faith and a good conscience. This is what he tells Timothy, holding faith and a good conscience. If you don't do that, you end up in the second half of this verse, the second part of this verse, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. Uh, Some people didn't hold the faith in good conscience, and as a result, their faith was wrecked. Right there in verse 19, we see two possible states for faith. You're either holding it, or you're putting it away. You're either holding it, or you're wrecking it, right? That's the two possible states. You know, Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You're either walking in faith, or you're shipwrecking faith. In 1 Timothy chapter three, Paul's describing the qualifications of a deacon. What do they have to do? They have to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. In Titus, same thing, Titus chapter one, verses 15 and 16, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. As you study out your conscience in the Bible, you find out that it, it can exist in one of seven possible conditions or states. Here we see a defiled conscience. Why? They profess that they know God, but they don't live Christ. In works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. We are to hold the faith, right? That is the responsibility of the believer. And if we're gonna follow the pattern of Paul, that's what we're gonna do regardless of our past. We're gonna hold the faith that was once given to us. And so here's the key. How can I know if I'm holding Right, the faith in a, in, with, a clear, with, a, with a good conscience. How do I know I'm doing that? Follow the word of, learn the word of God. Follow the word of God, right? Submit to it, follow it in faith. In other words, that means hear, believe, obey. That's how it works. Hear, believe, obey. Hear and do. It's just as simple as that. Well, you don't understand everything I got going on, Pastor. It's really rough right now. I know what the Bible says, but, but here's why I can't do it. Here's why I can't live for Christ right now. Oh, okay. So your situation, you are the unique, you are the, the, you are the unique situation that, that has the, it's so big, it's so bad, it has the power to overturn what your creator told you. You are, you are that great of an exception that your problem is bigger than your creator. I know what the Bible says, but here's why, I can't, uh, here's why I can't obey it. That is a stinky butt, bro. Whatever the word of God calls you to, you can do it. You can live it. You can follow in faith. Second, how does Paul keep a pure conscience? How does he keep his conscience pure? Well, verse three says he was faithful in prayer. His prayers for Timothy. He's like, hey, Tim, brother, I'm praying for you. We say that same thing all the time. Hey, bro, I'm praying for you. Really, are you really praying for your brother or sister? Or did your pants just ignite? For the international students, okay, what are we talking about there? Children here have a taunt. If we think somebody's lying, it's liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't remember the rest. Hanging from a telephone wire, is that what it is? Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging from a telephone wire. I mean, I don't know. so a liar's pants can bust for some reason, but that, there it is. What, uh, bro, I'm praying for you, said the liar. Why is he lying? Well, it's not, it's not a sin of commission. It's typically a sin of omission because you turn around, sit down, pick a bale of cotton, and you just forget all about, right? You just got busy and you forgot all about your need to pray for your brother or sister in Christ. 
Anytime somebody tells you, man, it's rough right now. Oh, I'll pray for you. Take a spot. Hey, can I pray for you right now? Just get it done right then. So at least if you forget later, you're off the hook, right? Just pray for him right then. That's kind of what I have to do a lot of. <laughs> uh, hey, man, let's pray right now. See, Paul understood what Samuel was saying in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. He says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I would sin against the Lord. How? In ceasing to pray for you, but I'll teach you the good and right way. Paul knew that prayer for others made a difference. Made a difference in their lives. He knew the, the fervent prayer, right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous saint, right? That, that makes a big difference in the lives of other people. I just, man, oh, brothers and sisters, pray for me. I need it. Pray. He heard what happened when the church was praying for Peter. And Peter's in prison. Acts chapter 12, verse five, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. There it is again. They just wouldn't quit without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And that resulted in Peter's deliverance by an angel of God. So verse three says, I, I, I think, just look at the verse again and, and see what he's really saying here. I thank God, yeah, he's got a pure conscience, but what is he saying? I thank God that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. This same concept, what Paul is communicating to Timothy, it's actually a command for all believers. Check out 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Look at the command, what is it? Do you? It's pray without ceasing. And again, Paul models it. Remember our passage from Romans chapter one. I thank my God through Jesus Christ uh, for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. God, verse nine, he says, for God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Um, Some people will look at passages like this and say, I have to be praying all the time. Uh, This is not talking about 24-7, 365 days out of the year prayer. That's not what it's talking about. But some people think it is. I I remember I had a, a Pentecostal friend that would read passages like this and he thought he had to be praying all the time, literally making prayers. And so you're having a conversation with him and he would say something but then while you're responding, he's back, bless God, bless God, praise Jesus, praise God, praise God, praise God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And at first I'm like, is there something wrong, you know, is there something wrong with this guy? Uh, no, he's operating under a paradigm that says he has to always, every, every moment, be in prayer. That's, that's how he's interpreting this. And uh, I can't imagine a more frustrating endeavor. I mean, hello, do you sleep? How's your prayer life when your mouth's hanging open and you're drooling, you're covering your pillow and drool? I mean, like, it's, it's non-existent, isn't it? Well, you ceased to pray then, didn't you? Without ceasing, always, these are idioms for over and over or constantly. It's an idiom for I'm just gonna keep doing it, right? Every time it comes up, I'm gonna just keep praying. In other words, Paul's saying, Tim, you're always on my mind. See, this, is a, this, is a, this concept is a command for us that when followed, it results in a pure conscience. So do you have a pure conscience? 
Well, one of the keys is, is you're praying for your brethren. Lord, help us. Are you praying for me? Are you praying for each other? Where are we in your prayers? Well, nowhere. Well, then, oh, no. Because now your conscience is is not clear. Where are God's people in your prayers? We have to pray for one another. That is a command in Scripture. Well, I want to. I just don't know how to. Well, look at verse 4. Here's the key. You know how you get others in your prayers? Get them into your life. Get them into your life. Verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So this gives us point number two. We need real, healthy relationships. Uh, Too many times in too many churches, for too many believers, all we have is surface relationships. They're just surface. They're not real. They're not significant. They're not deep. They're just surface relationships. You're gonna have to get vulnerable. You're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to get into the thick of it with another brother, another sister in order to have a real relationship. See, Paul and Timothy, through their relationship together in ministry, what had happened is that Paul and Timothy had grown very close. I mean, Paul and Timothy went way back in the day. I mean, their life and ministry together spanned decades. And so that's a key. You want real relationships, well then make long-term investments in people. That's what Paul did. And so he had a real relationship with Timothy. Paul knew Tim's mom, Eunice, and Lois, his grandmother. Uh, Likely, his father, a Greek, was lost. And so the faith of the one sanctified parent, right, or the, the, the faith of the one parent, believing parent, sanctified the life of Timothy, the child. This is a promise in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 14, says the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The implication is, in the context of 1 Corinthians 7, sanctified by the believing spouse. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. So every, you know, mom, you may be saved, dad may be lost, but you can trust God for the lives, the souls, the salvation of your children. Why? Well, because you're their parent. Get full of faith. Believe the promises of Scripture over your family. So mom or dad, your whole family, I mean, praise the Lord. Outside of Christ, they were doomed to hell. But now you and your kids have an opportunity to know God through his word because you've got a relationship with Jesus. God always works through the believing parent. And so Timothy's grandma Lois and his mother Eunice, they taught him what it meant to have a relationship with God. Uh, Paul talks about it in chapter three, verse 15. He says, that thou from, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, who taught him, Lois and Eunice, right? which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So by the time Paul gets to Lystra, Timothy's a young man, he takes Timothy in and becomes a spiritual father to him. He pulls him close to his heart. Timothy was Paul's disciple. They went through a lot together. I mean, you look at how they started. You see the background in Acts chapter 16 on how they met. Check this out. Acts chapter 16, here's when Paul and Timothy meet. Paul comes to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But her father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystria, uh, Lystria and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him. Tim, I can use you in ministry. Let's go change the world. 
Let's rock the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tim's like, yeah, let's do it. Paul says, there's just one thing. He took him and circumcised him, this young man, circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, hello, that's real submission to Christ. I mean, you want to talk about commitment and Christian living? There it is right there. You ought to turn to your neighbor. I mean, look at what Tim did for the Lord. You ought to turn to your neighbor and say, what have you done for the Lord lately? <laughs> what have you done? I mean, that's, that's impressive. <laughs> and then you go on and you see them reaching those places for Christ. So at the point where they have to split up, the ministry's just too big and Timothy's got to be pastoring on his own. The ministry forces them to part ways. It was a very tearful goodbye. Paul says, being mindful of thy tears. My mind is full of your tears. You mean so much to me. I just can't shake how close God has drawn us two together as brothers in Christ. I remember the tears you said when we said goodbye for that last time. And so Paul said, I'm greatly desiring to see thee. Here he is in a hole on a chain and he just wants to see his son in the faith. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. Listen, you can be filled with booze, you can be filled with smoke or hot air, but you cannot be filled with joy until first you become saved and then after you are saved, there's still no guarantee that you're gonna keep on being filled with joy. Yet that's what God promises you. God wants you to be full with joy. The question is, will you position yourself so that you can receive it? Will you submit yourself to the life that will allow you to partake? So how do you receive the joy of the Lord? Well, okay, we gotta run our cross-references. We find out there's three critical keys. First John 1 verse four says, these things write we unto you, why? That your joy may be full. What are we talking about there? What's the key to joy? It's the word of God. In John chapter 16, verse 23, in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive. Why? Well, that your joy may be full. So there's another key. So the word and prayer are keys to a life filled with joy. Now check this out, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So 2 Corinthians 2, 3, you could make a case for that being the word of God as a key to joy, but he's actually talking to them. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye, aren't you our joy? Paul says to his disciples are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for ye are our glory and joy. 2 Corinthians 1.14, we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours. 2 John chapter 12, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come to you, come unto you, and speak face to face that our, not just your, mine too, our joy may be full. So it's the word of God, prayer to God, and what? The people of God. You want the joy of the Lord are all three online in your life. Are you fully plugged in? Are you fully engaged in the word of God, in prayer to God, and with the people of God? 
No Rambo Christian is ever effectively full of joy. I mean, just study, you know, Rambo's a great case study. There's a young man all the way up through his old life, just full of joy. Just in every show, Rambo, in every Rambo movie, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my, no, no, this is a miserable dude. <laughs> all alone, cut off. Still, great story. Okay, your joy from God in this life is found in the word of God, prayer to God, and your relationship to the people of God. It's tied to your relationship with the body of Christ. Paul says, Tim, you're my treasure. And just seeing you will fill me with joy. Are you miserable? Are you, I mean, you may be saved, but if you do a gut check right now, am I full of joy? Or am I basically walking with some low-level depression all the time? Well, okay, first, make sure you have a life in Christ. But then secondly, you need biblical relationships. You gotta have it, that's a key to joy, biblically. In verse 16, Paul said that his imprisonment was so bad, it had a chain hanging on it, right? But his joy would be complete if he could just see his son in the faith, Timothy. That'll just, man, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be right as rain. I mean, that's real Christian fellowship. You know, some of you, you're missing out because you can't value what God has so greatly gifted you with. His people, I hear pastors all the time, they'll make the joke, man, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. I'm just so sad for them. I mean, don't get me wrong, people can make you miserable. That's, that, that can happen. But that's not seeing them as God's children, is it? Somebody that Jesus bled to buy, they're worth whatever it takes to help them. And to do that, to make, you know, the thing that you make the investment in, uh, that's what will be precious to you. Oh yeah, where your treasure is, what follows your treasure. Uh, that's where your heart is, right. Some of you, you're just mildly disgusted with God's people all the time, and that's why you're miserable. Like, well, relationships are messy. Yes, they are. <laughs> and they're worth it. Paul says it's worth it. God's gifted you with his people and you don't see the value. And that's why you can't ever put down your phone. I mean, we're like kids. We don't want something real, we want sugar. We don't want nutritious, we just want, I mean, give me, give me Oreos and, and uh, oatmeal cream pies and uh, ice cream, you know, like we don't want, we don't want real substance. We just want fluff. At some point, brother, sister, grow up and start building real relationships. Yes, you'll get hurt. Yes, they're messy. Yes, they're a lot of work. Worth it, they're worth it. The second thing that Paul does is remember a faith unfeigned. Look at verse five, when I call, right? I wanna see you so my joy's full. What? When I call to remembrance the the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. Lois obviously leads Eunice to Christ, and thy mother Eunice, she obviously leads Tim to Christ, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. So that's point number three. We need an unfeigned faith. Okay, you look at verse five. He says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in thee. Why didn't he just say, when I remember your faith? Why did he say unfeigned faith? You gotta pay attention to every word in the Bible because there's a key there. You know, why does the Holy Spirit use 
the words faith unfeigned? Well, obviously it's because faith can be feigned. People can pose. Faith can be faked, that's a danger. Nobody likes fakers, are we all agreed? Yes, yes, said the room full of hypocrites, right? We, we all do it. You put, on a, you put on a face, you put on a show, you put on a smile. And when you can tell somebody's faking in their relationship with you, it's obnoxious. I'm so glad to see you. <laughs> no, you're not, right? Oh, it's so wonderful to see you. Like, it's just fake sweetness is obnoxious. You're on a date with someone that you really just kind of wish you could shake loose and, oh, I'm having a great time, <laughs> said the faker, right? My personal pet peeve is I'm having a conversation with someone and they're fake laughing. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, that's not funny to you. Like, don't, just be real. I would much rather hear, that kind of sounds stupid. Yeah, like, okay, at least it's real. Don't you just want people to be real with you? Well, God's, God's the same. Some people say, well, pastor, you don't understand my situation. I mean, it's really rough. That's why I'm living like hell, but I got faith in God. No. You say you have faith, your works will follow. Check out James on that. See, because your faith is feigned, well then you sit down, turn around, you take matters into your own hand, all because you don't actually really trust him. This command shows up in the first letter to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy 1.5. Now at the end of the commandment is charity, love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. God wants you to get real with him. Either God and his word are worthy of your trust or they're not. Make that decision. Are you gonna follow yourself or are you gonna follow the Lord? Make the decision. Stop riding the fence. You know, riding the fence is a rough way to live. <laughs> it's, it's not good. So what do you want out of life? You want your best effort? Well, I got problems. You know, I just gotta manage best I can. Okay, go away that's right in your own eyes and you'll get the best that you can produce. The works of a man's life lead to death, don't they? Do you want the best that you can produce for your life or do you want God's will over your life? You gotta decide. Do you want God's promises? You better get this down. To have faith is not impossible, but without faith you cannot please, right? It is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Study your Bible. How do you seek the Lord? Study to show thyself approved unto God, right? That's, look for him in the pages of his word. And as you read your Bible, you find out that faith is simply taking God at his plain, straightforward word. As you read and obey your Bible, then your faith begins to grow. But it's all tied to how you treat, how you view his word. Romans ten seventeen says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you read, the more you obey, the more you see God work in your life, and then the more your faith grows. And that's what Tim had. He had an all-in faith. Paul taught in the word. Timothy believed it, he received it, and he lived it. He lived it out as a disciple of the Apostle Paul. And so look at the treasure that, that Paul now has in Timothy. Someone that even after Paul is martyred, long after he's gone off the, off the face of the planet, here is someone that he made an investment, I mean just a, a, a huge investment in, that's gonna go on and keep shaking the nations for God's glory. Man, what a treasure that is to the Apostle Paul. Let's close with this.
I wanna, I wanna challenge you. Some of you, what you're doing is you're just effectively, we talk about it from time to time, about how we don't wanna just hold services. So many churches are, are just guilty of going through the motions of trying to figure out what they're gonna do on Sunday. They wanna hold a nice service. And the people aren't actually engaging and owning the mission for themselves. And so Sunday after Sunday, they're just attending a service, and then Monday through Saturday, they just live a way that's right in their own eyes. They do the best that they can. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna waste my life doing that. I don't wanna play church with a bunch of people like little kids play house. I mean, if we're gonna do this, let's matter in the mission, amen? It was pretty weak. See, that's what a lot of us are struggling with it. Some of you, what you do is you come in week in, week out, and effectively what you're doing is just attending services. I wanna challenge you, engage, plug in, get accountable, start getting real with people. Well, you know, I'm barely here. Have a tough time with church, it's full of hypocrites. Yeah, that's true. Guess what, you're one too. Welcome to the club. This is group therapy, we need this, <laughs> amen? Like we need the, oh man, it's so political, or it's this, that, or the other. I hate church because of all the people. Uh, good luck with a joyless life. Paul got into, the, I mean, he got into it. The blood, the sweat, the tears, the snot, I mean, he was all in with Tim. Follow the pattern, make, First of all, you need to allow people to make an investment in you. You need to get accountable. I don't, you know, I don't like everything. Get over yourself. Humble yourself. Get accountable. You don't have to like everything. You don't even have to understand everything. Just submit to the people that God puts in your life. Be a disciple. And then make the investment. Turn around and invest in someone that says, I need to know how to grow. I need to know how to grow in the Lord. I need to know how to follow my Bible and start meeting with them, start investing them, and do it a long time over time, and be able to say these same things with Paul, you mean the world to me. Look at how God's using you. Look at who God has made you to be in my life. Man, my heart is so full with joy when I see your walk with the Lord. Now if you do that, I mean this is why people hinder, you know, they're hindered in this, they, they're, they're, there's reservations. I mean if you do that, will you get burned? Will people hurt you? You ought to get this down in your notes. Absolutely, guaranteed, you're gonna get hurt. No question about it. If you, get, if you get fully engaged in this local church, someone, or maybe a lot of someones, are gonna really hurt you. They're gonna hurt your feelings. Guess what, they're worth it. You're worth it, the Lord Jesus is worth it. Will you get burned? Absolutely. But will you make great investments into the lives of other people and get hurt for your trouble? Absolutely. Did Jesus come and make an investment in people and just, it was just all sunshine and roses for him? I mean, God the creator comes to make some disciples. I mean, he wants to be king of Israel. That's the, that's, that's the promise. And instead of receiving their king, Israel along with the Gentile world, we crucified our creator, that's what we did. I mean, he came to make an investment and he still laid his life down for us. So you know, you make an investment and it gets thrown in your face, you get betrayed, somebody knifes you in the back, go tell it to Jesus. And Jesus will be like, oh, well, you're welcome. 
Welcome to the fellowship. Welcome to the fellowship of my suffering. What a, what a wonderful thing to lay your life down trying to help a brother or sister grow, move forward in faith. And when they hurt you, they betray you, whatever it is, to just have that privilege of being able to enter into the fellowship. Of, and you're gonna ball. You're gonna go to the Lord like, God, see what happened? I mean, I just, I made this huge investment. And look what, yeah, go, go tell that to Jesus. That is a sweet fellowship. Did Paul make great investments in people only to be knifed in the back? Absolutely. Look at Hymenaeus, Demas. I mean, he, he walked away for the world. Look at all the wolves in sheep's clothing that he's warning the Ephesus elders about. And if you got your eyes just on that, those points of disappointment, you might, you might be tempted to say, I don't want nothing to do with it. But I don't think that's why people are people who call themselves Christians, but they're living out in the world like a lost person, that's their excuse for them to just be a rebel against God. That's really what that is. Uh, I don't want nothing to do with church, man. It's just people, can't stand, can't stand the people, can't hypocrites, too much hypocrisy, too much politics, too much whatever it is, too, much, too many cliques, you know, there's the in group, there's the out group. All of that is just an excuse for I'm just gonna live my life the way I wanna live it. That's what it is. Repent. Stop it. You're missing out on so much joy. Can I just tell you, when I pray for you, my heart is so full. When Dan came and preached last week, and I remember him being in the college ministry at at, uh, the Kansas City Baptist Temple, you know, I'm, I'm this kid out of high school. I'm his pastor uh, for several years, and, and he goes off to school, and he comes. I just, I remember when we first started out, I've got a picture. I think I even have a video of me and John Wright uh, in a skit, and we're just roughing him up. We're, like, tossing him around like a, like a bag of taters, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and he's just, you know, he's good. Dan's just good with everything, always talking in the back of, like, like we're, if, 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 18-year-old Dan was sitting in this service, he'd have a best buddy, and the whole time, they're pointing at the screen, and they're talking, and they're laughing, and they're making jo- jokes, and, and I would just be calling them out. Like, Dan, what are you here to, like in front of everybody, Dan, what are you here to do, bro? Like, get with the program, you know? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then just to hear him bust the word like that last week, it was, Awesome. I mean, he's pastoring, he's there, and in Lee Summit, they're winning souls, and they're making disciples, and they're tra- their LFBI class is growing, y'all. I mean, so help them God by his grace. Living Faith Lee Summit is gonna rock the nations for the glory of Christ. From the, sur- from the suburbs of Kansas City, they're gonna do it. And it's not just Dan, there's just countless of you that are moving forward in faith The cry of my heart is we get to the judgment seat of Christ that the song that will be sung for everyone is Sam slayed his thousands, but you, you slayed your ten thousands. Thank God I'll have an eternal, like a glorified body, right? Because that's gonna, just my heart will burst for joy.
Join with me, right? Get in on some of that action so when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you can be cheering for your disciple over the fruit that they have that redounds, that abounds to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? You're not gonna be used the way that God wants to use you unless you're willing to get involved, really involved in the lives of people. And that starts with you first, plugging in and being accountable. Let somebody teach you. And don't just learn to know stuff, learn to invest it into the lives of other people. People are worth it. Now next time we're gonna get to verses six and seven. This is where the rubber's gonna get on the, on the road in terms of stirring up the gift. And this is where Paul will kick this letter into high gear. And he reminds Timothy of the gift of God and the strength that he has in the spirit of God. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so next time we're gonna talk about stirring up the gift that God has put in you, believer. Uh, We need to know how to do that and we'll see how next time. So there's your cliffhanger. You gotta come back to to, to find out. Let's Let's pray, let's bow our heads. Let's call on the Lord right now. How many would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I've been distant, I've been reserved, and my joy is not full. I need to repent, and I need to plug in, and I need to get involved in the lives of people. I need God's grace to do that. I don't wanna just say it, I wanna do it. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Okay, so there's a number of us. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't even know the Lord. How would I have the joy of the Lord? Would you pray for me? I'm not saved, I'm not born again. Would you pray for me? I don't know that God's my Father. I don't know that I have a place in heaven with him. Would you pray for me? I need to be saved. Can I see your hands? Is there anybody like that in this service? Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Okay. So Father, you see there's four that raised their hand and said they don't know that they're saved. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, help them to be done with the excuses and the lies that that we tell ourselves or that the devil tells people that you can do this later or that that, uh, now is not the right time. Your word says that today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that today they would confess sin and their need of the Savior. That today, in repentance of sin, that they would submit and surrender their lives to Christ. You are Lord of all. Help them to see there's no better, better time, there's no better place than right here, right now, to just surrender and submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then Lord, for the rest of us, there's so many of us that are saying, I'm on the fringe. My joy is not full. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, please, let it be a day of repentance. Let it be a day of being done with the excuses, uh, done with the, with the wrong priorities, wrong schedules and agendas, and that, Lord, we would just surrender to the process that you're placing us in as your children to be a disciple so that we can be a disciple maker. Lord, have your way with us as your people. We pray in Christ's name, amen.